This episode is brought to you by Arizona Birding Tours, Arizona's premier local guiding service for birders and bird photographers. ABT offers custom individual and private group tours throughout the state from the birder mecca of southeastern Arizona to the world famous canyon country of northern Arizona. Arizona Birding Tours is about following passions, passion for being in nature, for exploring beautiful places and amazing birds, for getting the best possible photo, and for having new experiences that create lasting memories. Arizona Birding Tours, more birds, better photos, your list. Find out more at www.arizonabirdingtours.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick. It is time at last to talk about the 2024 Bird of the Year. It is, as you may have heard last week, Golden Winged Warbler, Vermivora chrysoptera, along with the maybe conspecific, but also maybe not, Blue Winged Warbler. It is the last holdout of the vaunted Vermivora genus that used to contain nine species of warblers, vermivora, meaning worm-eating, funnily doesn't include the worm-eating warbler, that's in genus Helmetheros, which means worm hunter. We are already down a rabbit hole, let's get back on track. Uh, Chrysoptera, more appropriately, means golden-winged. Golden-winged worm-eater. Golden-winged warbler is the first of the dynamic wood warbler family to get a bird of the year designation and it's a fascinating one one which has interesting conservation needs and unique taxonomic circumstances owing to the hybrid situation with the aforementioned blue-winged warbler i've been looking at a lot of photos of golden-winged warblers in the last month or so and it's surprising how many of them show varying amounts of blue-winged warbler phenotypes. Even the golden-winged warbler that is currently big and beautiful on the ABA's website has got a little bit of yellow on the breast, suggesting that it had blue-winged warbler in its past. But it's not easy to find one that doesn't these days, to be honest. That's one of the things that is most fascinating about this bird. I went back into my own eBird histories to find my experiences with golden-winged warblers, which are somewhat few to my surprise, given that every sighting of that species elicits a vivid memory for me. I remember finding them on their breeding grounds in the Southern Appalachians, both in my home state of North Carolina and in West Virginia, where they prefer second growth, brushy, tangled old cattle pastures. I went specifically to find my first golden-winged warbler in my home state, as they are getting rather scarce down here, but there are a few places in the West where they're, they're still hanging on, they're still breeding. I don't know if it's a golden-winged warbler thing or a Western North Carolina thing, but they always seem to be in places with delightful names. I saw my birds on Max Patch Road, which implies the existence of maybe a minimum patch road, but it's also near the intersection of Mule Stomp Road. You can also find them farther north at Meat Camp near Elk Knob State Park, if you're so inclined. Golden-winged warbler watching does involve good sign watching, I guess. 
I remember my very first Goldwing Warbler, which came out of a misnet at a banding operation at the Springfield Conservation Nature Center in Missouri. On a spring big day, I was running with my dad. Uh, we did count it, even though it was in a misnet, or it wasn't for long. And I remember the couple times that I've encountered the birds randomly, but delightfully, in fall migration, where they look as smart and clean as they do in spring, being as they're one of the warblers that doesn't have a fall-specific plumage. There's a lot to think about when it comes to golden-winged warbler, but I'm curious about your golden-winged warbler experiences, as I am every year. If you have a good one and you are interested and willing to share it on this podcast, please record it on the voice recorder app on your phone and send it to podcast.aba.org. I'd love to share them here. It's all Golden Winged Warblers this week as we welcome the 2024 Bird of the Year artist to talk about the cover art she created, which will be featured on this year's January issue of Birding Magazine. It also includes the stickers. If you're a member, be on the lookout for that. It may have already arrived in your mailbox. It's Natasha Fontaine. She's here after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the first part of January 2024. In late 2022, an influx of red-legged honeycreepers turned up in South Florida and Louisiana and Texas too, ultimately being recorded in five counties in South Florida. There was talk, perhaps hope, that some of those long-staying birds might stick around and breed in the ABA area for the first time, but that didn't pan out. But there have been more records of red-legged honeycreeper in the wake of that incursion, though we haven't been able to welcome a new breeding bird to the ABA area yet. The latest of those birds was seen in early 2024 in Miami-Dade County. The bird was present for a couple days, but has not been seen since. Even so, it appears that red-legged honeycreeper may join other seasonal Caribbean rarities as an annual or nearly annual vagrant in the region, and that's pretty exciting too. Not a lot going on this week, but for the full list of the other rarities, you can check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and in ABA community. The 2024 ABA Bird of the Year is here. It is everyone's favorite, is it or isn't it a species, the Golden Winged Warbler. We'll be featuring it on the cover of the January 2024 issue of Birding Magazine. That piece of art is by our 2024 Bird of the Year artist, Natasha Fontaine. She is here today to talk art, goldwing warblers, among other things. Welcome, Natasha. Congrats on the reveal. Uh, I know Thank it must you. have been difficult keeping it a secret for so long. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure what was harder, coming up with a creative idea or keeping it the secret. <laughs> It was rough. It no, was it's the hardest thing because we let you know like months in advance. And, like, yeah. You can't tell <laughs> or I don't, I don't know what we do. I'd, be, I'd send someone after you to make sure you dip on every rarity for the rest of your life. Oh, gosh, I, I don't no. know. But it's, <laughs> don't uh, say but, that. <laughs> that's the worst. It's the worst. No. Right? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's, it's a lovely piece. Um, can you talk a little about how you approached that? You, you mentioned that uh, coming up with a creative idea was uh, was hard. I'm, I'm sure it's difficult. It's It's a weird vertical magazine cover and not like a horizontal thing. That's a weird thing. Too. Yeah. Um, once you were given the task of illustrating this species for our bird of the year. Um, well, after I freaked out um, <laughs> so, of panicking <laughs> of how I'm going to, how am I going to do this? Um, you know, I, the idea kind of came to me. I, I had went through, a few different um, ideas. So basically my process, like when I'm about to work on a, on a project, um, I do 
a lot of thinking more than sketching at first. So I do a lot of kind of like visualization in my mind of what the possibilities could be. And so mm-hmm. I'm not really sh- like this was one of the the faster visualizations that I came up with um, in compared to other projects that I've done. Um, it was probably like, I don't know, maybe about a week it took me to come up with something after um, hearing the news. And um, yeah, it basically just it came to me. I knew that I wanted to tell a story. I, I knew that I wanted to tell mm-hmm. the story of this bird um, and include the full life cycle. And so I knew that already. And then I was had to go through, well, how do I include this? And I went through a few different ideas. Like one of the ideas that I had was to also include something that would show more, more birds in the picture migrating in the far mm-hmm. background. So I was thinking about, oh, well, maybe okay. I could, yeah, oh, maybe I could like, you know, draw silhouettes of small warblers all uh-huh. the way, you know, so it, it's in the distance and they're migrating through. And, you know, I was actually going to uh, yeah, no, maybe like illustrate like cool. a shoreline a or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I was like, uh-uh, I can't do that. Like you're out of control right now. <laughs> you, do that in the time <laughs> you do frame. not have yeah. enough time for that. You have a full-time job and right. you do yeah. not have enough time for that idea. Um, so I squashed <laughs> that idea because <laughs> sometimes I get, I get, it would have been very ideas. cool though. I will say that yeah, does sound good. <laughs> it just was, it was too much. It was too much. Um, so yeah. I had to squash that idea and then, I don't know, it just came to me just thinking a little bit more personal of, you know, taking a trip to Costa Rica and also traveling in South America and just kind of thinking about how it felt when I did see the same species that I would see, you know, here in North America, but on their Mm -hmm. wintering grounds. And that's when it just came to me like, okay, have to include that. And then, you know, go into the uh, breeding grounds as well. And I just felt like, okay, well, that should be sufficient enough to at least highlight this full annual cycle story that I wanted to tell. For sure. And it helps that that is where almost all of the golden winged warblers are in January. (laughs) <laughs> when yeah. the cover comes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you set the piece in the tropics. Um, you made that decision because you wanted to include the whole life cycle. Does this <laughs> sort of illustrate an experience that you had with this species in the tropics? Have you seen them in this place? Because I, I, I agree with you. I totally love seeing breeding birds that are in my backyard. Uh, in places like yeah. uh, Central America and South America. It's such a thrill. It's yeah, a it really is. Note from home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's so funny because it's like, yeah. you know, when we travel out of our areas and we're seeing like all of these new exciting lifers, all of these different species that we're seeing, oh, they're yeah. all lifers. And, you know, like the adrenaline is going. It's like lifer, you know, one after the other after the other. And then you have like this yeah. bird that you've seen at home. And it's just like, almost like your heart warms. It's like, oh my gosh, just some familiar bird, you yeah. know? So um, I did see them. I saw um, I saw them in Monteverde and I also saw them in um, mm-hmm. La Fortuna in Costa Rica. And so okay. yeah. that's where that came from. And like, I really, when we were, I was with my boyfriend at the time vacationing and we were in um, around Arenal Volcano and I just love yep. that area so much. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah, That's fantastic. a real, like, a the volcano is like a landmark 
of like yeah, that yeah, yeah. area. And so mm-hmm. I thought that that would be very recognizable that, oh, you know, mm-hmm. people who have traveled there will probably, you know, recognize like, oh, I know where that is, you know? So I wanted that Hard connection. Hard to miss the giant volcano. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hard to miss the giant <laughs> volcano. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. I wanted that connection. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about Golden Wing Warbler is that many of our neotropical migrants, I should say, are like this, is that they feel like they fit in so well in this, in both of these places. Like I can see a golden-winged warbler where I live in North Carolina. We They breed in um, on these balds, on these Appalachian balds where the, the trees have kind of been knocked down for cattle fields, actually, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And um, it's got the second growth stuff coming up and they, they love that stuff. Because if, if it gets too much, they're, they're gone. So they need a very specific uh, habitat. But then also they're so colorful, they're so charismatic that you see them in the tropics and they feel like they belong there too. Yeah. Yeah. With the toucans sure. and the motmots and the parrots for sure. and, yeah. and all the other cool things. It's 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 neat to see a yeah. bird like that that, you know, straddles both those worlds so well. Yeah. It really is. So backing up a little bit, which came first for you, the birds or the art? Or do they always sort of end up tied together? <laughs> um, yeah, they're, I've always kind of been a, uh, like a scribbler in general. And mm-hmm. I've, I mean, just being brutally honest here, I've never had an interest in drawing humans. <laughs> like It was like, you know, I mean, there would be, you Hands know. Hands and feet are hard. That's always Yeah, I'm like, I do before. not want to look at humans that long. <laughs> and I'm sorry maybe that's a terrible thing to say I don't know but I just have like (laughs) I've always had a more of an interest in drawing nature so you know whatever Mm -hmm. mammals or insects and so forth and like so it kind of they went kind of together like it was just okay um you know I'm love birds so I'm that was just one of my subjects and that's how it happened Mm -hmm. so it was never really like one or the other first or the other so you're you're a birder, obviously. When you're out birding, do you frequently think about how you might illustrate oh, yeah. the birds oh, yeah. you see? Is that a part of your brain that you can't turn off? All the, yeah. cannot turn it off all the time, all the time. Like if I'm not doing it in that moment in time, it'll be like later on in the evening. You know, when I'm done with my birding day, I'm like, hmm, that's a really good idea. You know, like I will start yeah. to like think about ideas of from from the day. Um, and I have yeah. so many. I have a lot of projects in the back of my mind from experiences I have, whether it's from work or from birding, um, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're on the back burner (laughs) because I need more time. (laughs) There's not enough time in a day for me. (laughs) A cool thing about birds is that, I mean, it must be just constant inspiration when you're out there, you're always experiencing them doing cool things and things that you might want to, I, I know photographers deal with this too, but a photographer, you miss the moment, you miss the moment. The thing about being an artist is that the moment sort of lives in your head for a little yeah. bit. And then yeah. you can take that moment down and you can remember it and you can use that as inspiration down the road for something uh, that you might want to do. Did you have like a notebook full of scribbles and ideas and stuff that you can hopefully work into something down the way? <laughs> No, I don't have a notebook um, that I have my ideas in. Um, you know, they just kind of sit in my mind <laughs> for the most part. But I don't have a notebook that I that mm. I write my ideas down. I mean, yeah, I just kind of keep them in mind um, and kind of revisit them. And I mean, there, there is one 
project that I'd like to work on, actually two projects that I'd like to work on um, that I won't mention. Um, nope. No spoilers here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, you know, I've, I've already visualized them like, you know, I don't know, maybe 30 times, you know, each throughout mm-hmm. the past year, um, just waiting for the to have the time to do them, you know, whether it's like thinking about what medium am I going to do, am I going to do it in or, mm-hmm. you know, what shape or what size, you know, the paper or the canvas should be. So, um, yeah, I'm constantly thinking about that type of stuff. And, um, yeah, I probably should keep a notebook, but yeah, it's more fun just to keep <laughs> thinking about them. <laughs> Maybe sometimes ideas will come to you, ideas that you thought you put to bed and they come back and yeah, and they just come back and you know, yeah. yeah. What's what is your process? You've got the idea for the Golden Winged Warbler. Where do you go from there? What are you using for resources? What are you using for the preferred medium? I don't, where, where do you go from there? So I came up with the idea, I knew I wanted to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, kind of incorporate the full annual cycle. And so that from there led me to, okay, I need to do a little research. So, um, you know, I went and um, researched uh, through the Golden Winged um, Warbler Working Group and Mm -hmm. looking at their management plan and just looking at different resources on um, through the Macaulay Library and so forth. And so I just started doing doing it by doing a lot of reading to try and understand um, a little more than what I already knew about Golden Ring Warbler. Um, and then the next step was basically, okay, what do I want them doing? And making that decision of what I want them doing. And so that's where the sketching comes in as far as what position I want them to be and what activity, like what mm-hmm. action they're going to be doing. And so that took a little while to make a decision on um, and also what habitat and how to illustrate the habitat. So like, for example, on the wintering ground, I went into one of the things that I love about, which I'm pretty sure most people love about the tropics is, are the the amount of plants that you see, the epiphytes and, mm-hmm. and bromeliads oh, yeah. and ferns and so forth. And, and it's basically like just a dripping microhabitats. And so they're so oh, beautiful. Sure. Like every branch is a yeah. forest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that yeah. was when I experienced that, you know, for the first time, I was fascinated by that. So I knew that I wanted to incorporate that um, and then also, you know, studying golden wing warbler foraging behavior, um, I was like, okay, this is perfect. We have dead leaves, we have bromeliads, we have tons of epiphytes, mm-hmm. you know, their foraging behavior is through probing. So like, this is great, you know? So I went through looking up different species of plants and started illustrating them and, and, and kind of sketching them out. I had a bit of trouble trying to figure out how am I going to connect the habitats? So you know, mm-hmm. I have the breeding grounds and then I have wintering grounds and I went through, you know, this whole thing of how do I connect them? What idea do I come up with? And so that's where I came up with this kind of weird hybrid hybrid tree that I created where mm-hmm. there it's only one trunk, but the one trunk has both habitats coming from the one trunk. And for me, okay. I I thought that that would be a cool way to show, you know, that the conservation of the habitats as a whole, 
and so that they're mm-hmm. connected. And so that's how I ended up connecting the two habitats. And so going back a little bit, stepping back from um, the plants and thinking about how to connect the habitat, um, I did a lot of different illustrations of um, both the male and a female. I had to decide, well, who do I want flying? But then when I was like, well, this is a great opportunity to put in the song. So the male is not going to be the yeah. one flying. <laughs> so, yeah, because I wanted no, to I incorporate love that part that. of it, too. That was so cool. Thank you. Um, I really wanted to incorporate it. And I was just like, how do I put it in there? So I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. The male is not going to be flying. Male is going to be singing. I have the female flying from the mm-hmm. wintering grounds. And so the process basically for me is I don't use any um, any computer illustration. I do everything manually. Mm-hmm. And that means lots and lots of redrawing drafts. <laughs> and so I went through one position after the other and, you know, um, doing other research as far as, uh, doing my best to get the, the feather count correct. So I would go, I went into the pile Mm -hmm. guide and went and, you know, read through that just to make sure that I have it as accurate as possible. Um, and transferring. And then like, I did a lot of transferring the, once I solidified my, uh, solidified the idea and kind of played around with the different sketches, kind of like puzzle pieces on the larger paper mm-hmm. to figure out where I want um, each bird to be. Um, mm-hmm. I um, would use transfer paper um, and I then I would basically trace my own drawing and then transfer mm-hmm. it onto the final draft paper in the positions that I already laid out with all of my little drafts. And then I would... Mm-hmm create a final draft. I probably, I created four final drafts of this illustration. So I did oh, it four, right. four final times. Um, wow. but I didn't do, no wonder a, you, didn't, you didn't have a lot of time. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, because I'd, I'd find something else in there that I was like, you know what? I don't like the way right. it is. Let me yeah. try it again. You know? So, yeah. um, but I didn't do a full color version each time. Um, so, um, there were just mm-hmm. black and white transfers. Um, so yeah, so then I transfer it on once I make the decision as far as like the position and everything. And, and then I started drawing the plants separately, everything I did on, uh, separately as a practice and figuring out the colors. Mm-hmm. So I would go through different shades of green, yellow and so forth and browns and basically mix them together and work out, you know, which one belongs to which plant. And same with the birds as well. Um, the in, Most of the piece is done in color pencil um, and uh, watercolor wash. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Is that your preferred medium or do you have favorites for different groups of birds that you might be working on? Well, my preferred medium is graphite. I just really enjoy working with grays, blacks, and whites. Um, mm-hmm. And... Most of my experience of color is with color pencil, uh, but this year I decided that I'm going to move into oil pastels um, because I think I can do a little bit more mixing. Oil pastels are really messy. I've played around with them before, um, but not too uh, not too intensely. Um, but this mm-hmm. year I decided that just to give a little bit more flexibility and so I can have a little bit. I don't know, just maybe something a little different. I decided that I'm going to move into oil pastels again and give that a a second try. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. (laughs) Um, You're also, 
a bird biologist, shorebirds, and you told me grassland birds as well. Mm-hmm. Um, shorebirds are sort of notoriously one of the groups of birds that offer uh, identification uh, challenges, <laughs> I guess, yep. shall we say. Um, does being an artist change the way that you approach the task of identifying shorebirds? Do you feel like being an artist gives you a certain eye for those sort of subtle differences in birds? Um, does it does it make you a better birder? Or at least a different birder, I suppose. Well, yeah, I would say it makes, I think it does make me a different birder in a sense that I'm picking up on things maybe that I guess wouldn't be, how could I say, not not really like so obvious. And mm, I mm-hmm. think that, yeah, I think like just having a creative eye, I'm observing things a little differently. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, but I don't know. I mean, many people probably do. I don't, you know, it doesn't have to be an artist, you know, I think like, yeah, everyone has their own approach. I yeah. Guess. Everybody has their <laughs> own approach, but I think that maybe I see things a little more sometimes, but sometimes mm-hmm. that's also varies on the day for me. So I don't know. Yeah, I, know <laughs> I don't I think I that. gave you a really good answer. <laughs> well, do you feel that if you illustrate a bird, if you're working on a bird, if you're thinking very deeply about a bird in terms of how you illustrate it, does that make you more confident in your identification of that bird down the oh, road? Oh, yes, for sure. After the fact, yes. After I yeah, illustrate, after, yeah. yeah, after, I thought you meant before. Jeez, I was, you spent so much time know. on it. Well, both, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely after the fact. After the fact, it's like I would not be able to misidentify that bird because I've studied every single little part of that bird. So, like, for example, after I finished, I've seen Goldwing Warbler prior to doing the illustration for this year. Mm -hmm. But after I got done with the illustration and I saw Goldwing Warbler during migration, I mean, it was like, I know this might be a little strange to say, but... I saw it and it almost felt like I had it in my hands, even though I didn't have it in my hands because I was so connected to it because I, I, I just spent months just looking at it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know? And so, yeah, I, after drawing something, whether it's, you know, a mammal or any organism, a plant, I I'm very confident that I there's very low chance of me misidentifying anything after I've illustrated yeah. it. Even given the world's worst look. You'll yeah, even the world's to. worst look, I'll be like, ah, that's a golden warbler. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I've been there. Yeah. Yep. I've been in its head. Yep. <laughs> um, do you have any artistic ins- inspirations as an illustrator, fine artist, any of that? Any people that you look to and think that's the kind of work that I'd like to be doing? Um, well, I have a few, but... On the top of my list right now is Lars Johnson. Um, because, oh, yeah. yeah and so, unbelievable work. And it's not only that he captures the details. It's that he captures the moment. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sh- Like, I think that's a really special thing. And I'm not exactly sure, of course, how he does it. But, like, for example, yeah. he has um, this painting of... It's a very large painting common eiders out, you know, in the ocean and they're moving. I mean, Mm -hmm. they are, you can, it's like when you look at this painting, you can feel the power of the water. You can feel the power of the wind and you can feel the power of the 
the Eiders moving on the move. And it's yeah. like, I don't know how he, it's such a special gift to translate the moment to artwork mm-hmm. like that. And so that's, that's why he's more like on the top kind of on a, in the top, you know, top three, um, because his work, like to be able to capture that feeling and translate it, mm-hmm. it's, and, and it's not only with birds. I mean, there are other, um, paintings that he's done where, I mean, the moment, that feeling, the emotion that's yeah. there, it's, uh, yeah. So he's, yeah, he's fantastic. That's, not, that's so cool with birds too, because I yeah. think a lot of people sometimes default to kind of the field guide style. Uh, art with birds which is fantastic like i love a great field guide Mm -hmm. plate uh with uh you know immaculately detailed and stuff but if right like capturing birds in the moment um is such a cool thing for an artist like i i sort of understand how photographers do it because it's right in front of them but to be an artist and have that image in your mind and to be able to put that onto canvas or paper or whatever is such a it's such a cool thing (laughs) yeah yeah so i definitely admire his work um for that reason and you know I guess that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, my my goal this year is to start moving back into oil pastel and being a little Mm -hmm. bit more fluid in that sense. Because what I really like to do is I like to keep the accuracy in my subjects, but Mm -hmm. also throw that creativity and that flow in there. And so that's yeah, that's what I'm hoping my next level will be to be able to capture that more um, closer. Yeah, much better. Natasha Fontaine is our 2024 Bird of the Year artist. Her piece showing gold-winged warblers at Arnaud Volcano will be on the cover of the January 2024 issue of Birding Magazine. Members should get that in the mail. If they haven't gotten it already, it should be there in the next week or so. Natasha, congratulations on the work. Thank you so much for your time. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the ABA. Not only do you get to support community projects like the American Birding Podcast, but membership gets a lot of great benefits, including our great magazines with the Bird of the Year stickers, discounts to partners like OM Camera Systems, Beautio Books, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and more. You can get all the information you need about joining at aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Tim and Karen Beatty of Inglewood, Ohio, the Biggs family of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Tara Craig of Brooklyn, New York, Linda Daly of San Clemente, California, Jeffrey Jackson of Hudson, Illinois, Nancy Kitchen of Waynesburg, Kentucky, Susan Laidlaw McCreary of Belmont, Michigan, Christopher Valles of New Smyrna Beach, Florida, and Caitlin York of Maple Ridge. It doesn't have a state or province, so I'm going to guess British Columbia, maybe? I hope. All of them recently joined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much and welcome to the ABA in the new year. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Wayne Klockner, who suggests that Verminvora might be an appropriate new name for a pigeon-eating population of Cooper's Hawk. Technical production is by John Lowry, who suggests that a researcher particularly interested in a population dynamics of blue and golden-winged warbler hybrids would be said to be into vermiculture. Additional help comes from Maggie Fitzgibbon and Greg Neese, who wonder if a gold-winged warbler nest that is made up of thousands of skinny strands of straw would be said to be made up of vermivora celli. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media, most everywhere is American Birding Association. On Blue Sky, we are at ABA Birds. Questions, comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Bird like Tom. See you next time.